we just want to declare that. Blessed be, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Him and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, like it said in verse 3 there. We love you. We, we, we know that you love us. Pray that we would understand that a little bit more today through the Holy Spirit. Through the spiritual blessing of the Holy Spirit, we, we, we got to know more how much you love us. And we praise you for the love that you have for us, that you've shown us. We praise you for who you are and for what you've done. Pray this in your great name. Amen. Have a seat, please. Got a little hot mic action going on today. Sounds wet out there still. Thank you for swimming in today to the service. Apparently you survived the atmospheric river. Did you hear about this this week? Unbelievable, as if we needed more, more wetness, more, uh, more rain. Can I do something, Adam? Anyways, listen, thank you for being here. Uh, how about last weekend, if you were here? How awesome was that? That was a stinking blast. We had a ton of people here. I'm probably about the same, maybe a little bit more. People showed up last week celebrating our one-year anniversary, and it was a rager. Do you guys know what a rager is? Like, that's what we used to say in high school when there was a big party. We'd have a rager. Are people still saying that? Nobody? Yeah? Rager. Yeah. I got, I got a yeah. I got a nod. It was a rager. Thank you to the guys, uh, Lucas and Andrew, that were managing the, the Traeger, the problematic Traeger out there, to Holly Kintz and, and everybody that helped put the food together. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, was there 10,000 fruit kebabs that they made? That must have taken hours to put those together, but they were, they were awesome. So thank you for that. I hope you got to enjoy it. I think we're going to have a few more barbecues. I mean, ideally, uh, if... It stops raining at some point. We'll do, we'll do some more, we'll more barbecue. We're thinking like once a month, but I don't know when. I don't think we have that on the schedule yet, right? Nothing yet. Maybe in a couple weeks. I'll let you know. Well, uh, what else was fun last week is my brother was out here. He hasn't been out here since we moved to the, to the hay shed, so it was kind of cool to have him out here to, to, to preach for us through Isaiah 6. We took a break from Ephesians, uh, but we have been in Ephesians for several weeks, like six or seven weeks now. Uh, and we've been going over verses 3 through 14. I don't know if you've noticed, but we read the same passage every week. Verses 3 through 14, because Paul is pretty fired up about God. He's saying, if you want to know God, if you want to praise God, you've got to know God. So he, that verse 3, praise be, blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like, that's how he starts, verse 3. And then he just rattles off all the spiritual blessings from the Father, spiritual blessings from the Son. And then today, we're talking about the last chunk, 11 through 14. These are the blessings that come from the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're covering. And honestly, there's so much in this. I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to listen to what everybody has to say. This guy, Martin Lloyd-Jones, that we listen to, he preached like six sermons on one word in here. And I'm like, I, I listened to several of them, and I'm like, this is, we're not going to be able to cover it all. That's, that's what I want to tell you. But I want to cover one, one section. But let's put up real quick. I'm going to read again verse 11. I'll give you like, 
like a quick overview of verse 11 and 12. You have that, Wyatt? Nice. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel, according to the counsel of his will. Paul is saying, we have obtained an inheritance and been and been predestined. We, he means, is, is the Jews, the Jewish remnant. These are the Jews that, uh, that were exposed to Jesus first. He's saying, we were chosen according to the purpose and the counsel of God's will. We were chosen, in verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, which I thought was kind of funny, he just kind of slips that in there like, no big deal, but we were the first ones to hope in Christ. It's a little humble brag there by Paul. We were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So he's just saying we, as this Jewish remnant, we've been chosen by God. We are, we are God's. He chose us. He predestined us to hope in Christ first. And then he rolls into verse 13. In him you also. So he's, he was talking about himself. Now he's talking to his buddies in Ephesus, the Ephesians. In him, you also. They aren't Jewish. They're Gentiles. There's the Jews and the Gentiles. Everybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. So he's, he's rolling and says, In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So he's saying, In, in you guys also, Ephesians, when you heard the gospel the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. So he's, he's saying the same things are happening to you that happened to us. We were chosen. You guys are chosen. When you hear and when you believe the gospel, here's the, here's the, the section I want to cover. What comes next? When you hear and when you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That's, that's like meaty. That's a, that's a beefy uh, <laughs> couple of words there. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's awesome. Perfect timing. Why is Paul using this kind of language? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Why is, he, why is he using those words? He's obviously just trying to explain to them who God is so that they can praise God because God is incredible. But why is he using these specific words? Why is he, it sounds like he's reassuring the Ephesians. Why does someone need reassuring, typically? Because they're nervous. They're afraid. They might be a little fearful. When someone comes into my investment office and they are nervous or they are afraid of the stock market, I'm not sure why they would be afraid. Stock market's a great place to invest. Last year was awesome. Actually, the last three years were awesome. This year, not so much. When someone comes in, they've got some money and they're afraid of the stock market, I, we, we don't try to convince them to invest in the stock market. We tell them about a guarantee. We tell them about something that's less risky, something that's a sure thing, a more conservative investment. That's what Paul is doing here. He's trying to reassure them. He's saying, 
You don't have to be nervous. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be fearful. There's assurance. You can have assurance of your salvation. There's security in your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance. Paul is telling that to the Ephesians. Paul is telling that to the Silvertonians. Is that what it is? Silvertonians? Is that what we call, call us here? He's telling that to us too this morning. So I want to break this up. I want to, I want to pull this apart and try to figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, I want to talk about the inheritance because that's a big piece of this. I want to talk about the fear, the, the, the nervousness, the anxiety that we struggle with. I want to talk about the seal because that's a big deal and the guarantee. There's four pieces there that we got to get through. Let's look at the inheritance. What in the world is the inheritance? I was trying to think about how I, I would explain this. I was trying to understand the inheritance, first of all. Like, what is he referring to? What is this? Is this, is the inheritance salvation? Is the inheritance heaven? Uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, we had Family Sunday, and I was asking the kids, like, hey, what do you guys think of heaven before the service started? And they were like, well, there's going to be some cash and gold, some coins. <laughs> uh, it's, heaven sounds very lucrative, I guess, as a, as a child. What is the inheritance? I had a hard time, like, describing it. The definition I got from blue letter Bible was like a, a share in the kingdom of God. But that's like hard to, hard to like imagine. What is that like? And I got it. You guys ready for this? I got a snapshot of the inheritance in one picture. Let's put that picture up if we got that, if we got that handy. Dude, that is the inheritance. If you're listening on the podcast, you like have no idea what we're talking about. Let me explain it just in case somebody's listening or somebody will listen. This is a picture of my daughter Lucy at her last uh, soccer game the other day. And she is stoked because she just scored a goal. She wanted to score a goal so bad. She doesn't score a ton of goals. She scored a few earlier on, but hadn't for a while. Had a couple great shots on goal, but wasn't able to get one by. This was the last game of the season, and she wanted it really bad. She was working at it. I promised her five bucks if she got a goal. <laughs> I don't, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to be paying players, but let's, don't tell Kaiser Youth Soccer. And she nailed it, man. She got it. They were all bunched up by the soccer, uh, by the goal. You know, this is like second grade. So they just like, in a, it's like a scrum where the ball is. It's just a big group of them. Nobody knows how to spread out and pass the ball yet. Um, but they were all spread. They were all gathered together around the goal. And Lucy took a shot and it bounced off of somebody and came right back to her. And she got, got herself set up. And then there was just this little window. And then she just like nailed it and squeaked one by the squeaked by the goalie and was so happy it was so cool what aspect of this is the inheritance is it the victory is it the accomplishment of the goal nah 
I think it's what the victory and what the accomplishment got her. Who's she looking at? She's looking at me. She's looking at her mom. As soon as she kicks that goal, as soon as it goes in, she turns right to us with her hands in the air. What's she looking for? She's looking for approval. She's looking for acceptance. She's looking for affirmation. She's looking for admiration. She's looking to be loved. Isn't she? That's what she wants. And she's looking at the people, her mother and father, who she knows she's going to get it from. And sure enough, man, I'm out of my chair. This is actually from a video. And I'm so embarrassed because I'm like, come on, Lucy, come on, Lucy. Get it, Lucy, get it, Lucy. Yeah. Like it's the second, second grade World Cup, you know, going on. She got it. The inheritance is the joy of being loved. And that is a snapshot of the inheritance. That love is powerful when it comes from a mom or a dad of a kid. It's powerful when it comes from somebody that you admire, somebody that's important to you. But it's even more powerful when it comes from God. The joy is so much greater because he's so much more important than any of us here. My love for Luce is imperfect. I'm showing my love for her because she scored a goal. That's not super helpful for Lucy. The love that comes from God, the, the joy that we get from, from being loved and the love that comes from him is so much better. Why? Because it's not based on our successes or failures. We don't have to score a goal for God to love us. He loves us regardless of our successes and failures. That's the inheritance that we get from the Father. He loves us regardless of our sin and our shame. He loves us regardless of the fact that we've rejected him. He approves of us. He's accepted us. He loves us. If we hear the truth of the word, the gospel of our salvation, and we believe in him, he is pleased with you. Do you know that? Doesn't matter if you score a goal or not. Doesn't matter if you succeed or if you fail. Someday that inheritance will be complete and total and perfect and permanent. It will be like that picture, that snapshot forever, like all the time. Until then, we just get a taste of it here through the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal that we get a taste of it. It's enough. It's the greatest thing that can ever happen to you on earth, getting a taste of that inheritance. We get it through the Holy Spirit, and we need the Holy Spirit to get through the struggle of life. Let me talk about what the, what the struggle is then. That was the inheritance. What's the struggle? What's the problem that this, this verse, this, these words address? We think 
we've got to score goals in order to be loved. It's human nature. It's how we were raised. It's how I'm accidentally raising Lucy. She thinks she's got to score a goal to be loved. I score a goal, dad loves me. If I don't score a goal, maybe I'll be rejected. I'm not rejecting her. But that's what we come to understand. We crave the love and we fear the rejection. You get it? That's the problem. We fear rejection. That's the fear that, that I talked about earlier on. That fear of rejection is real and it jacks up our lives. Let me talk about how, how I see this in my life. How the fear of rejection has, has messed with me. I'm not a great sleeper. Uh, since I had kids, it seems like I haven't, uh, haven't been a great sleeper. Not because they, they were babies and they stay up all night, all night although that was uh, part of the problem. But it's like the pressure of life started to grow. I got a family. I got little people that I have to take care of. I got a business. We got church. We got relationships. Pressure builds, and that pressure wakes me up at night. I don't know if any of you guys experienced this. I read a book the other day that, that was passed to me. Uh, called You Can Sleep, and it's this great book. Um, it talks about, it's like this giant yawn at insomnia. It's this 20-year sleep doctor. He's, you know, he's telling you all about the science of, of insomnia, but he's like, insomnia, in, in essence, is no big deal. It's not that big of a deal. You will sleep eventually. If you stay up long enough, your body's going to fall asleep. You're not going to die from insomnia. He lists like 50 different uh, diagnoses that are more serious that you would die from before you would die from, from insomnia. One of those that he lists is the African sleep sickness. He said you're more likely to die from sleeping too much than not sleeping enough. He says this, sleep is not that big of a deal. In fact, or, or insomnia is not that big of a deal. In fact, insomnia is not a diagnosis. Not sleeping is not a sickness, that's a symptom of something else. He says insomnia is a symptom of fear. People are scared they won't sleep and that keeps them awake at night. This was like such like, a, oh, I do this to myself. I'm nervous that I can't sleep and that keeps me awake at night. It was kind of a revelation for me. I thought it was so cool. It was such a good, it's, it's such an interesting thing to point out, but it doesn't go far enough because the, the fear of not sleeping is, is one issue, but there's another issue. I get woken up at night because of the fear of failure, I guess. The pressures of life that come up, they wake me up at night. My mind just starts to grind. I start to think, what's coming the next day? What's coming the next week? What's coming the next month? And I'm awake from whatever, in the middle of the night, trying to solve the problems because I'm afraid of failure and I'm afraid of the rejection that will come from failure. Does this make sense? And then when that wakes me up a few nights in a row, not only do I have a fear of failure and the fear of rejection that comes from that failure, I have a fear of not sleeping, which increases the fear of failure and the possible fear of rejection that would come from that. It's fear on top of fear on top of fear. I don't have a sleep problem. I have a fear problem. I talked to somebody else about this this week. Somebody whose life is just sideways. And they're struggling. 
And they were saying, oh my gosh, that's, that's my problem too. I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of, of the rejection of the people I know and love because of the failure in my life. And that doesn't keep him up at night. That keeps him drinking at night. So instead of staying awake, he's, he's turning to booze. And drinking to help mitigate, drinking to help numb the pain of the failure that he's experienced in his life. Does he have a drinking problem or does he have a fear problem? Fear is real. Fear creates a ton of problems for us. The fear of rejection, or we fear rejection because we believe if we're not scoring goals, people won't love us. That can cause us to drink too much. That can cause us to eat too much. That can cause you to spend too much. That can cause you to, to get angry. That can cause you to become apathetic and closed off. Like, I don't want to be rejected, so I won't let anybody into my life. I'm just going to completely close off. That can, the fear can cause you to be anxious. The fear can cause you to be stressed out. The fear can keep you up at night. These are, these are the, the things that happen as a result of the fear that's inside of us, that fear of rejection. We fear the rejection of God for the same reasons. It's the exact same thing. We think we have to perform in order for God to love us. And that's not the way it works. That's not the way that God works. He's not on the sidelines, disappointed with us. He's not shaking his head like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this person. When we hear the truth of the word, the gospel of our salvation, and we believe God is out of his chair, accepting us, approving of us, loving us. He loves us. That is the God, the holy God that we worship, just like that song said. God really loves us, and we need to know that. This is how we stop the madness. This is how we stop the fear that plagues us. We need to see that we are sealed and guaranteed for the inheritance because of the Holy Spirit. So let's break this apart. What does it mean to be sealed? When you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Martin Lloyd-Jones says it means three things. It shows ownership, authenticity, and security. It shows ownership. How does this seal show ownership? It's a stamp. It's a mark. It's a brand on us, like, an, like you brand an animal. It shows you are not your own. We are not our own. We are owned by God. He owns us. He chose us. He adopted us. He bought us. We are owned by him. And it is authentic when we hear and when we believe. The seal of the Spirit means it's not a fake your faith is not a fake. It's not a forgery. It is signed and sealed. The deal is done. It's authentic. We are owned by him. And it's real. And it provides security. 
to us, the seal of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be lost and we cannot be stolen. You didn't get yourself in, you can't get yourself out. You can't dark, dart down a dark alley of sin to get away from God. That, he, you can't do that. You're not strong enough to get out of it. He owns you. There's assurance of your salvation in that. You cannot be lost. Jesus will not lose any that the Father has given him. And you won't be stolen from him. We are stamped with his seal. He is ours. We are his. And he is ours. It's, it, it goes both ways. Like he owns us and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have a piece of him. Do you see that? How it, how it goes both ways? Lucy on the, on the soccer field. She is my daughter. I don't necessarily own her, but she's mine. And when she's looking at me with her hands up in the air, she, I am her father. My stamp is on her. She's got some freckles showing up right on her nose right here. I got them all over my arms. Like that is my stamp on her. A better stamp is she's beautiful like her mama. That's a, that's a much better stamp. She is not her own. She's mine. We are God's. We are sealed by the Spirit, and we are guaranteed for the inheritance. What does guaranteed mean? That was sealed. What does guaranteed mean now? I looked that up. Guaranteed, this word that they're using is like a down payment. It's like a deposit. It's an earnest. You know the earnest money? If you bought a house, you know you got to put down some earnest money. Say, I promise to pay you this full amount that you're, uh, this ridiculous amount that you're asking for your house. <laughs> and I'll put five grand down to show you I'm serious. I'll put five grand down now. I'll go and find somebody to lend me the money to, to pay you the rest. I'm serious. This is a promise. This is a guarantee that I will pay you the rest. I'll put my money where my mouth is. A down payment, a deposit. That's what the Holy Spirit is to us. It is a down payment of what's coming in the future. It is a taste of what's coming. It's just a taste. But we got the full meal deal that's coming in the future. That's what the guarantee is. Let me ask you, have you tasted the love of God? Let's put up Romans 5.5. 5. This, is, this, this is a good verse I found. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love Start, start reading at that God's right there. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. If the Holy Spirit is a down payment on what's coming in the future, he's a guarantee of what's coming in the future, the Holy Spirit is God's love being poured into our hearts. That is the taste of what's, of what's coming. It's just the beginning of what we will experience. Have you tasted God's love? Have you heard a sermon? Have you heard the gospel and thought, oh my gosh, that forgiveness is for me? Have you read it in scripture and thought, oh my gosh, the burden of sin and shame, I can feel it starting to, to lift. Have you heard it? Have you, have you experienced what it means to, to like... Know that this is for you. That is just a taste, but it is so powerful. That can change your life. That taste is what we need to push out the fear of rejection. The taste of God's love through the Holy Spirit is what we need. That will help us dispel that fear of rejection.
That is what we need to push back against the fear of rejection. You know that this is true in theory. Whether you've consciously or subconsciously thought this, think to yourself, if this person likes me, I'm likable. If this person accepts me, this person that's important to me, then I'm acceptable. If this person respects me, I must be respectable. And the more powerful one, if this person loves me, if this person loves me, then I'm lovable. And I don't care what anybody else says. I'm loved by this person. I'm good. Do you know who this person is? Do you know who the best person to put in that place is? It's God. If God loves you, who cares what everybody else thinks? We don't have to get angry then when, when, when we're fearful. We don't have to drink too much to be fearful because that, that inner fear that's causing us to do these things, that, that goes away. That fear gets pushed aside because of God's love for you. It's been sealed and guaranteed for the inheritance sometime in the future. God went out of his way to show us his love. He chose us. He adopted us. He redeemed us with the blood of his son. And now we're sealed and we're guaranteed for the inheritance. What does this mean for us? Going forward. We're in this like weird in-between place now, right? We're not of the world, but we're not in heaven yet. It's like, what do we do with ourselves? It's like that pair of jeans that you have. Okay? You're looking at them. You wore them all day, and you're like, these are not dirty enough to go into the washing machine, but they're too clean to put back on the rack. You know? What do I do with this pair of jeans? You put it on the chair. Right? Do you guys have a chair by your bed? Like... I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this, these pair of jeans. I'm just going to put them on the chair. I got a few more days out of them, I'm sure. I'll, I'll pick them up tomorrow. And then the next day, you're like, what am I going to do with this hoodie? It's not dirty enough to get into the washing machine, but it's too clean for me to put back in the dresser. Like, I'll put that on the chair. And then two weeks later, your wife's like, are you going to do something with these clothes on the chair? There's like a huge pile of clothes. They're in between. <laughs> Terrible metaphor. The washing machine and the dresser. We are in the beauty between. It's a song that King's Kaleidoscope has. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. We've been purchased from hell for heaven. Okay? We've been forgiven of our sins, but we haven't reached complete and total salvation yet. We are between spiritual bankruptcy and the eternal riches of the inheritance. We are between the fear of rejection and the perfect love that casts out fear. What do we do? What are we going to do? We live without the fear because we have the Holy Spirit which helps us 
on a day-to-day basis, which is a taste of the love of God, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, Paul says in chapter 3. This is the love that we must bask in. This is the love that we must soak in in order to dispel this fear. This is the love that we must be showered with, like an atmospheric river, you know. Can't just be sprinkled, you got to be doused with it. This is the love of God that we need to push out the fear of rejection that we struggle with. And this is the love that we have been shown through the Holy Spirit, sealed by the promised Holy Spirit and guaranteed for the inheritance. Do you know that love? When you look to the sidelines, what do you see from your father? From God the Father. Is he disappointed with you? Is he folding his arms? Waiting for you to score a goal before he loves you? No, that's a lie. That's not the truth. He loves you. He's pleased with you. He says, that's my son. That's my daughter. When we hear the truth of the word, the gospel of our salvation, he's coming unglued. He's out of his chair. This is my son who I'm pleased with. This is my daughter who I am pleased with. We hear, we believe, and then finally, we repent, which is what we're going to do this morning now. I'll have, the, I'll have the guys come forward with the communion. When we repent, heaven goes wild. Luke 15, 7 says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. If there's that much joy over one sinner repenting, how much joy will there be over 200 of us repenting together?